1: Welcome to Fish Talk Radio. This is John Hennigan in studio. And gosh, we're going to have so much fun today. Waiting on the line right now, we have um, someone that I recently met and I'm fascinated with, uh, Jerry Hamza. And he's got such a long story in and out of the fishing business. But uh, we're going to get into him and let him kind of follow some of the stories about what he's done, what he's doing and then of course he've just come out with uh, I guess it's your first book Jerry is Outdoor Chronicles?
2: Yes, that's that's my that's my debut.
1: Right. Well, from uh, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. We just talked the other day and but we're going to get a chance to get into that and maybe you'll kind of give us an expert excerpt from that. And Jerry has been there done that. He's he's traveled all over, fished almost everywhere and he's in his book, which I understand is basically a fiction, but it's based on your own experiences. Is that fair to say?
2: Um, Well, they're, they're, they're actual, the stories are all true. So, um,
1: hey, wait a minute, uh, Jerry. You're an angler, you're a fisherman, and you're telling me that it's all true, yeah, right. But anyway, it might be some well, elaborate. Well, the lies
2: are mostly in the sides of the thing, <laughs> okay, but it's not in the event, <laughs>
1: okay. All right, and then we're gonna have uh, Nick Clark, who is, uh, I think, well, anyway, he's with Eagle Claw, I think he's a national sales manager, international sales manager a tremendous company, one of the most respected, and they are all made in Denver, Colorado. So we're going to get more into that, and there's we're going to try and keep him on for two segments because just a simple subject of fishing hooks can be extremely complicated with all the different types, varieties, and sizes, and uses. And then we'll see if we can get also in touch with Mark Lesane, editor of Bass Angler Magazine and see if he can kind of join in with us a little bit but we're going to have a lot of fun so stay tuned listen to Fish Talk Radio and we will be back with Jerry in just a couple of minutes so stay tuned and we're going to have some fun
0: on the magnificent Sea of Cortez. The Grand Heritage Resort and Spa at Marina Costa Baja is the first five-star resort in La Paz Baja South. Overlooking a 250-slip marina and white sand beaches, enjoy two signature restaurants, a world-class destination for fishing or diving. Enjoy five-star elegance in the charming, laid-back city of La Paz. Dock your boat and enjoy the marina village. Visit on the web at costabajaresort.com.
2: You can't catch fist you can't catch fist you can't catch fist you can't catch fist.
1: Welcome back to Fish Talk Radio. This is John Hennigan in studio. And contrary to the bumper music, you can catch fish. And we have Jerry Hamza online with us, who I would say, you know, he's been everywhere, fish there, done that. Let's put it that way. And why don't you give us a little bit of your history, Jerry? You've just come out with a new book that we're going to talk about called The Outdoor Chronicles. But let's start off talking to you a little bit about some of your background oh by the way i uh, googled your name and uh, you've got some impressive history outside of the angling community but why don't you give us a little bit of an idea about yourself uh, how you've gotten involved in fishing where you've done and how you've had the opportunity to do that
2: well, it started off a long time ago. I was born in a log cabin,
1: yeah. In come on,
2: New York. Okay, 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 okay. But the truth is, you know, I was on the Lake Plains in in New York. And there's great fishing opportunities here. And my, my grandfather was a fisherman and my father, so it's a genetic conspiracy that got me into fishing. Um, but then, uh, you know, I had, I have an interesting life. I, I worked in the management of George Carlin for almost three decades and, and that provided me an opportunity to travel the whole country and I took a fishing pole wherever I went. So I'm, you know, in, in, Eventually, you end up connecting the dots if you're around long enough. And then, unfortunately, after George passed away, uh, I, I was looking for a gig, and I ended up getting elected to president of the Cat Mancers Association, mm. which was, uh, instead of traveling North America, that gig had me traveling the whole world. So I was I, I was fishing then in every continent except Antarctica. Which, you know, having that be the last thing out there, I'm (laughs) going to have to figure out how to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, fascinating. Well, when you say George Carlin, it could be a common name. But the one we're talking about is the one. Probably one of the funniest men that ever lived. And witty Um, And, you know, I'd love to talk just about him on the show, but we're not going to. We're going to talk about you and and some of your experiences. But he was quite an amazing person. And when you worked on the team, it it seems to me that you were actually more than that. I think you were his agent and guide and and, uh, uh, confidant.
2: Yeah, we, we you know we spent more time with each other than we did with our families. It was, we 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 toured hard, and uh, but there are some good things, and they relate to the book. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, George was probably um, there. There was probably nobody better at comedic timing than George. Oh yeah, and so I yeah, timing is important in anything where you're you're trying to communicate to other people, and and some of that influences in the book.
1: Well, he covered a long career. I think I can remember back, and was it hippy dippy weatherman, and that was back in the what the seventies?
2: Yeah, and it was even before that. He was one of the. He was on uh, uh, some of the year, uh, uh You know. Uh, some of the early talk shows. And, okay. and well, it, I'm, I'm when not gonna, he started, it was a it was a tie in uh, yeah. suit affair, but that's a long time.
1: Ago. Right there, you go. Well, I'm not going to ask you about uh, you know uh, being a roadie and drugs and all that kind of stuff. But well, when do you want to go there? So I,
2: <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't remember to tell you. But even
1: if we did. <laughs> okay, but let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Outdoor Chronicles. Now, you've had the opportunity to fish in many different places in different types of situations. And now is this freshwater and uh, uh, deep water or p- primarily most of what have you been doing?
2: I, you know, my, my greatest love is fly fishing. And even further down that path is uh, I, I have this love affair with bamboo.
1: Oh, so
2: it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of that in here in the book. It's about, see, I call, I refer to fly fishing in uh in two eras. I call it that. Well, there was this beautiful book called The River Runs Through It.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a bit, and, even better movie. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, I, right. The movie was so good that it got all these yuppies and yeah. people without souls and inspired them that they mm-hmm. might be able to find a soul fly fishing. Right. And then big corporations took advantage of them. We won't mention their names, but, you know, all of a sudden. Uh, you know, guys were showing up better dressed than I was on the streams, yeah. and so I always referred to that um, before uh, the river and <laughs> after the river. As a matter of fact, I wrote a short story. It's called "The River Ruined It," and it's about <laughs> that thing in the in you know in context of fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah, know, and
1: so well, it, it, this, Jerry, go we're going to try and keep you on as long as we can, and hopefully throughout the show as much as we can. Okay. But to give people a sense of the Outdoor Chronicles, uh, we mentioned that you know it's not necessarily it's probably nonfiction, but there's a lot of truth, and it's based on your experiences. Would you mind? Is it possible to get just like a couple minutes of uh, re- you reading a, a, an excerpt from it, so people get an idea of the flavor of the book?
2: Yeah, I would love to. Let me okay. let me start off by saying this book is not a how-to book. It's, right.
1: But it, we've only it, we've only got about two or three minutes. So right, right. Why don't we well, do that? So
2: this, I'm reading uh, the first part of a story called Touch of Gray. It's about a meeting I had with a, a terminal elderly man in the uh, in, in Roscoe, which is uh, famous for being the home of fly fishing, mm-hmm. at least the start of it in North America. So here we go. If you do something long enough and it is worthy, you begin to yearn for the roots. You want to find the foundation. Eventually it kicks off a journey to search for moral or spiritual significance, a pilgrimage of sorts. Pilgrimages usually mean a journey to a shrine or a place of personal importance. The journey can also be metaphorical. The best are both. If you fly fish, your journey at one point must be to the Catskill Mountain town of Roscoe, New York. Some will argue for the blue ribbon staple streams of the American West in the end, you have to look toward new york 's Beaver Kill, Willameck, and Delaware rivers and its branches. as a young man, I chose to go to college in Oneonta, New York, about ninety minutes from the legendary junction pool in Roscoe. I love to fish. I knew that the Catskills were home to some good water. Foolish stubbornness and youth would force me to say it was almost as good as the water at home near Rochester, New York. I never could have realized when I went there how much it was part of what I loved. The fly fishing culture was all over the place. At first, jaded by Madison Avenue campaigns, I figured this must be a small-town sales pitch. Yet, I ended up near there by some metaphysical accident. I fished around Roscoe often in brazen, bold manner of youth. I met and talked to fishing legends. I even had the sense to pester Lee Wolf into signing a book of flies for me. After all this, it took years to trace my steps back, to finally get it all right and in perspective. Looking back now, I was like a kid in Jerusalem playing handball up against the whaling wall. And that's just the, the start of well, the book. Well, I'll story.
1: tell you what, you're quite a wordsmith, aren't you?
2: Um, I, yeah, I guess. I <laughs> guess. It, you know, that's the kind of thing it's yeah. better
1: to have well, other people it, in, in other words, this, this is a book that every angler um, should read, and if you're not an angler, you may not appreciate it.
2: Um, well, I, I think what I'm finding out, and, and when I send you the book, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but... Um, I've been sending the book to anglers, and I've been getting calls from their wives saying, you know, I'm, I'm understanding it.
1: Oh, great, great, so great. it
2: crosses some lines there, yeah. so it's kind of cool.
1: And, if, okay, um, we're down to about a minute. This is a tough question, so if you can't give a quick answer, that's okay. You've been everywhere, done everything, fished everywhere. Uh, just without explanation, top three your favorite places to fish.
2: Northwoods in Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh Patagonia in South America? Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, unnamed pond at a very ritzy golf course.
1: Uh, okay, <laughs> those are good answers. Okay, okay, yeah. This uh, golf courses always have water traps, and some of them are pretty good. If you got to sneak in there at night and don't get oh, caught, yeah.
2: I've been thrown yeah. out of some of the best country clubs <laughs> in America.
1: Okay, well, I think we're going to have to wrap that one up. But real okay. quickly, again, it's Jerry Hamza, H-A-M-Z-A, author of Outdoor Chronicles, and hopefully you'll stick around, Jerry, and we'll be talk and do some more.
2: Okay, I'm here.
7: S A N D O S is how to spell luxury resort in downtown Cabo San Lucas. Sando's Finisterra Los Cabos is the only 5-star all-inclusive on the beach next to the marina in Cabo San Lucas. Angler friendly, Sando's Finisterra Los Cabos is now an affordable world-class resort with the finest accommodations, food and location anywhere. Enjoy your Cabo fishing adventure as you never have. Visit sando's.com and use discount code FISHTALK.
1: Welcome back to Fish Talk Radio. This is John Hennigan in studio. Gosh, I wonder where that bumper music was going. But anyway, let's get down to business. We have Jerry Hamza, who we've just been talking about, uh, author of Outdoor Chronicles and some of his experiences. We have the pleasure of introducing the international sales manager of one of the premium hooks worldwide, but is made in the United States, which is kind of a conundrum because i thought all hooks were made in japan and china but we have nick clark on the line with us who's going to join us in and if there's anything that he doesn't know about hooks um, then um, you know you don't need to know the answer but if we could introduce nick and then i'm sure that jerry has some questions we can talk about so first of all nick welcome to fish talk radio thank
8: you john thank you for having me on and uh, nice to uh to
1: meet you as well, Jay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Nick, to try and get down to the basics, you know, things have progressed over time with certainly, you know, when you think about rods themselves, uh, all the different varieties and types. Fishing line, of course, is just in the last five years, it's completely changed. And hooks... Have uh, they've kind of been involving also, and give us a quick rundown on Eagle Claw about the company itself.
8: Well, we actually uh, just turned 90 years old this year, so it's a significant milestone for us. And uh, you, know, so you must you must have
1: started when you're about 10 to be 90 years, huh?
8: What's that
1: I said you must have started there when you 're 10 to, to be there for
8: <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually just turned ten years with the company okay. so the company's ninety, and I have ten years with them okay. so uh, but yeah we've uh, we 've been manufacturing fish hooks for most of that time uh, When the company very very first started. they were really just making they were tying flies really, and they were making the hooks for those flies, but it was a very oh. sort of a manual process uh, and then around Around World War Two, um, the U.S. government commissioned the company to make survival kits for soldiers over in Europe.
1: Interesting. And
8: uh, that is when we got into mass fishhook production. They, uh, you know, they put up the money to build uh, machinery and that type of. Well, I mean, so that so it's so that like for mass, mass
1: you yourself. know, aircraft that went down behind enemy lines. They give them some string and a hook and a flashlight or something. Sort
8: of well, yeah, yeah, in a roundabout way, I think. Wow. Uh, Uh, You know, uh, soldiers were equipped, and then also vehicles and airplanes and that type of stuff. But, uh, but uh, yeah, that's when we started mass producing hooks. Uh, All the machines that we uh, that we have are designed in house. There's really none other that we've seen like them around the world. There's not too many fishhook manufacturers uh, to begin with, but uh, uh, we're very unique.
1: Mm -hmm. Well. We got a lot to cover in a short period of time, but give us a quick rundown. How many? Well, we can try and categorize it and keep it as simple as possible. But how many different types or SKU numbers do you manufacture, and where are they manufactured?
8: Well, the number is actually quite large, but you have to take into consideration that uh, you know one style of hook has. Up to 14 sizes, and then within those sizes, there could be up to four or five different finishes, being, you know, gold, nickel, platinum, black, those type of of plating finishes. So you add all those together, and we have, just in our current catalog, I think we have, oh, something, uh, five or 6,000 SKUs, but as a company, you know, when you consider all the hooks that we build for,
1: uh, you know, OEM projects and things like that were in the tens of thousands. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Now let's try and simplify things as much as we can. Let's just let's just uh, divide it first in half with salt water and fresh water. Uh, okay. Let's let's start with the salt water because that might be a little more simple. Uh-huh. About you know what what type of hooks for different reasons. You've got obviously bait hooks you mm-hmm. have hooks for trolling, um, yep. and for live bait and for dead bait, and give us a, just a kind of basic overview of the different types of hooks yeah. that you'd be using.
8: Yeah, I mean we we produce your what, we, what are called your standard J hooks that have you know really been the fish hook design for ever, for that matter, um, in all different sizes. You know, for really small sizes for rigging up beaky rigs to catch bait, to catch larger fish, or, you know, clear up into big trolling t- type type hooks or tuna hooks or things like that. But that's mm-hmm. the traditional J style. Um, we are, we're also the pioneers in, in really creating and taking to market the circle hook, which, uh, you know, today is a very, very popular and oftentimes mandated style of fish hook for bill fishing and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in different saltwater species. And so uh I would say today very easily this our circle hook category is probably our best selling saltwater fish mm-hmm. hook uh, well
1: let's dial. talk let 's talk about that for a minute. I think most people, especially people in saltwater, know a little bit about it and i'm I'm sure that Jerry has had some exposure uh-huh. but I first heard about it probably about fifteen years ago. It seems to me it was first used in japan but yeah. you know the the concept if you have never seen one. Take a, a regular fishing hook and you follow the point, and then you take the point and bend it directly toward the shank. Exactly. Well, so if you go, well, wait a minute, how is that going to hook a fish? Yeah, Uh, but apparently what happens is that when the and by the way, don't ever set the hook on a circle hook. But what happens is the fish will normally any fish will come up. It'll grab the bait. And then because there's usually other uh, predators around, he wants to grab that bait and and run away with it before somebody else has a chance to steal it. So when he makes that turn. The actual the fishing line is going back towards the tail, and so that uh-huh. curve in the hook will catch him in the jaw, and it's great for catch and relief. And once yep. it's once it's hooked, it stays hooked because it gets right in the jaw.
8: And there's another there's another important thing to point out on circle hooks uh, by their design being circular with the point like you say towards the shank. A fish, you know, a very aggressive fish can eat a bait, and it can actually go down the fish's gullet, down his mm-hmm. throat, with that hook. Right. And it, it, the fish uh, most generally will not get duck or get hooked with a with a circle mm-hmm. hook. That 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 right. when the line tightens, or when you know when uh, the right. fish when
1: turns, make, when he makes a turn, that hook right? will
8: actually go down and then actually come back up, and that's when it catches it in the corner of the mouth.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so they, they do
8: so it nearly nearly eliminates gut hooks. It happens mm-hmm. every once in a while, but you know, ninety five percent of the times mm-hmm. you, you you avoid a gut hook, which kills a fish.
1: Uh, Jerry, do you have any comments? And do you have any questions actually for Nick about saltwater? Yeah,
2: salt water? yeah I, I I actually do. Um, and it might be getting away from it a little bit. But Nick is is uh, is the company still making rods?
8: No, we don't manufacture rods. We did for a bunch of years, um, clear up until the I'm going to say mid 70s, early maybe very early 80s. And most rod production in the U.S. moved to at that time Korea. I think they went first. Uh, a lot of manufacturers, and then from Korea they went to China over the years. But uh, we did. We manufactured, you know, some some very famous lines: the Trailmaster, the Granger series. Yeah, uh, you know, we had actually a, a rod factory uh, north of Denver for many years, and then another one in Denver. So we were certainly in that business, but uh, you know, as that uh, as that as that sort of industry and category went went overseas, we we couldn't compete. So that's mm-hmm. that's one thing we gave up on. Fortunately, we were able to you know stick with our core business and manufacturing hooks in the US. Mm-hmm.
2: I actually have a a 1950s salesman kit for, for- Oh really? <laughs> oh really? <laughs> with, with with yeah, with all the snell hooks when they were first coming out. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's kind of a neat thing.
8: Some of the, some of that old stuff uh will fetch a good price on eBay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I, I uh, like it too much. Let's just, uh let's uh, Nick, let, let's just kind of try and finish up a little bit with saltwater. Uh, we talked about the J hook and the circle hook, but uh-huh. um, you know, and then of course we've got bait hooks, which yep. would be you know what one two aught or, or one one yep. size one two, um, and you want to comment anything about hooks that may be particularly for saltwater? Do you use different coatings or different materials? And yeah,
8: then, we uh, most of your saltwater hooks are. Some of uh, there used to be a lot of stainless steel, and there's still uh, stainless steel hooks are used quite widely, especially in your trolling lures and that type of thing, uh, your teaser lures for billfish and that type of thing. Um, another coating which is popular for saltwater would be tin, a tin based We call ours mm. a Sea Guard, mm. uh, and that's a tin-based finish. It's it's highly corrosion resistant, uh, not not as much as Obviously, stainless steel, and then some of your sort of your sport fishing uh, newer fish hooks for saltwater, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. are going to a, a platinum black plating, which is a, mm-hmm. a a nickel plating, but it's it's got some other elements to it that make it uh, right. quite resistant to saltwater. And so those are kind of your three finish for saltwater. Your three finishes that are that you find in saltwater would be stainless, uh, a sea guard, a tin based plating, or or a platinum black. Um, Nick, I got, a, I got a question while we're talking about that.
2: Oh, uh, well, it
1: looks All like, right. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm. sorry. Uh, go ahead, Jerry, but we've got just about a minute.
2: Yeah, Um. you know, one of the things that we always like to see is if we end up losing a, a hook on a fish, do you guys do
8: things like study how long it takes for the hooks to dissolve? Good question. There have been a lot of studies over the years, and and I think that's a good uh, one of the reasons why there's sort of been a movement away from stainless steel hooks, because they, they don't corrode quickly. They, stainless steel actually does corrode, but it takes forever. Um, and, and so that's why people prefer to use a, a, a nickel-based mm-hmm. plating or, you know, some diehards will use a bronze hook in salt right. water because so that the, exact the, reason. The, the they point want that is, thing if, it swal- if it
1: swallows the hook, if you try and get it out, you're going to kill it. So you're better off just clipping it and let it either let yep. it pass on its own or, yep. um, you know, or, or dissolve on its own. Uh, we're going to take a, another quick break again, and we're going to come back, and maybe we'll talk some more about freshwater, if you don't mind. You are listening you. to Fish Talk Radio.
3: bass angler magazine simply brings you more if you want to learn the latest technique start winning tournaments or just catch more bass then bass angler magazine is for you go to www.bassmag.com click on the order link and use the promo code fbr go to www.bassmag.com bass angler magazine bassmag.com it will be the best twenty dollars you've ever spent
7: old trout Big is just as trout. cool as the evening shade. Will I toss my line and I haul it up. I think I've got it made. Big old trout Big is old giving trout. me a dirty look. I'm determined to catch the rainbow trout but I keep pulling up an empty
1: Welcome back to Fish Talk Radio. This is John Hennigan and we're having some fun. We've got Jerry Hamza, author of Outdoor Chronicles, and we have the pleasure of Nick Clark, who's international sales manager for Eagle Claw, and we've been talking yeah, about some fun stuff. Let's get into freshwater and maybe let's get Jerry to ask a couple of questions to Nick.
2: Yeah, um with your with your freshwater um lines uh are you guys experimenting on hook colors and how much they matter when it comes to catching?
8: Yeah, we you know we have uh probably a wider assortment of freshwater hooks overall as a company than we do saltwater. There's there's just a bigger variety when you get into the bass fishing, which is so popular in the United States, uh, you know, and then the the trout spectrum and stuff like that. Uh, uh, there's just a, a need for a wider variety of finishes. We do everything from gold to, to platinum black, like you also find in the saltwater, to uh, Red and the chartreuse colors and crazy colors. Um, I don't know, you know, if if uh, anyone finishes better at catching a fish than the other. I think a lot of it uh, appeals to the angler more than any, anything. But uh, that's my mm-hmm. sort of philosophy. But uh, but uh, well, certainly,
1: yeah. Obviously, uh, Nick, the first thing you have to catch is the angler. Sure. Because sure. they're the ones that buy the hooks. But you mentioned red. Uh, I'm just kind of curious. Uh, I, I'd assumed that the red is supposed to simulate blood, but also yep. also red is a color that tends to disappear in water. So I'm just wondering yep. about the concept. And is a personal opinion? Do you think it really makes any difference at all?
8: I, you know, there was a trend where red was the thing. Every every hook had to be red uh, a number of years ago. And it's kind of faded away. We don't, uh, you know, we don't see the demand for nearly as many red hooks as we used to, especially in octopus hooks and uh, kind of that salmon steelhead fishery and that type mm-hmm. of thing. So, I, I really do think it's a trendy thing. You know, sure, it might mim- uh, mimic blood. I'm just, I'm not a huge believer myself in, in uh, the hook being that visible to the fish and, and the color of the hook making a, mm-hmm. an impact. So, well. that's uh. Some people may disagree with me. I,
1: you know, that's, that's just <laughs> well, sort of. that, yeah. I mean, if it, you know, just like a uh, a ball player has his lucky shoes or whatever it is, if it yeah. works, then you can't you can't say why, but you know, it works. Uh, another question for you is with the 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 dramatic changes that we've had in the industry and technology with the rods and the line, does that affect the you know the the micro braid? Is that affecting well, hooks that you're making?
8: Yeah, and I was going to, uh, when you mentioned that earlier, I, I was going to point that out. Uh, braided line has certainly changed the fish hook industry to a certain degree, um, especially in saltwater because, you know, these guys are fishing with braided line uh, and these huge reels, and it takes a monster to break that. And so we've had to make hooks more, you know, stronger hooks just to just – to, To deal with the strength that's Mm -hmm. being created by the braided line and these big reels that they're using today. Um, A lot of, uh, I do a lot of business down in Brazil, for example, where you have the peacock bass fisheries. And Mm -hmm. when they started using braided line on peacock bass, our 4X troubles suddenly weren't strong enough, and a 4X trouble is a pretty strong trouble, Wow, (laughs) interesting,
1: interesting. So. Okay. Um, Wow. And uh, before you take off, Jerry, is there any other questions that you had for Nick?
2: Yeah, yeah, Um, you know, uh, just one more question, and then then I'll I'll take off. But um, are you guys doing any, you know, as I get older, my arms get shorter. (laughs) um, Are you doing anything to make hooks more user-friendly as far as tying them on? Um,
8: You know, that's, no, there's probably not too much being, uh, you know, with respect to a different type of eye or something like that to make it easier.
3: Yeah, yeah, so
8: I, you know, I you, you know, I always
2: often thought that an eye like a uh like threading a needle might might yeah. be uh, a little easier.
8: Yeah, no there's there's not too much that I can think of to make mm-hmm. that easier, really old fish hooks. You know, the traditional way, the fish hook did not have an eye; it had like a spade on the right, end. Right, so you'd have you had to snell it. You, yeah. You tied a noose, basically. Mm-hmm. To me, that was probably much more complicated than than uh, mm-hmm. than tying an eye. So I, I guess there is there has been an advancement, but I. I really don't see much in the mm-hmm. industry today as you know as to okay. to further help make that easier okay
1: well Jerry, we're going to let you go, but we really appreciate that uh we check out outdoor chronicles uh you probably put, would just uh google jerry h a m z a or outdoor yep. chronicles
2: or, or you can get it on you can go to Amazon.com dot com or any of your favorite places where you buy books and you'll find
1: I appreciate that very much
2: thank you so much, for thank you, Jerry. And, Thank you, Derek. And, bye hey, bye. Nick,
1: uh, we did find somebody else that you've probably talked to in the past. We have Mark Lesane from Bass Angler Magazine. Well, actually, he's the publisher, director, editor, Copywriter, uh, janitor, and all that, but uh, he's he 's out I think, on the delta fishing right now, and Mark, we have Nick Clark, who's an international sales manager for Eagle Claw. and talk about bass fishing, you may have some questions um, for Nick, so uh, Nick, we appreciate that, and we know that um, you 're an expert on what you do, but you can 't be an expert on every type of hook so let's see what uh, no, I'm not. see let 's no. see if Mark can twist you up a little bit, Mark.
2: I heard him talking about, you know, uh, stronger hooks and, and braided line. Well, I, I'm out here and using a the technique of they call punching out here on the Delta, and I'm using 65-pound braid and an 8-foot rod, and, and I caught two 8-pounders today, and, I you know, I was just worried about my hook bending out. So <laughs> that's funny he was he was talking is that, about is that.
1: Is that striper,
2: Mark? Yeah. No, 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 largemouth. Oh,
1: wow, 8 pounds. Wow. wow.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, fishing some junk. You know, we have all this, this great big green junk. You know, we throw it in our side with a big giant weight. We throw it up into the, into the stuff and we shake it down through and, you know, look for those big giant fish up under there. I have a tournament coming up, so I'm kind of out practicing for that, uh, you know, trying, trying to dial them in. Nice.
1: Well, Eddie, anyway, we were talking about the strengths required for the braid, right?
2: Right. Well, I'm using braid. It's not micro braid. It's you know, it's a it's pretty thick braid. It's 65 pounds. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, most of the micro braid, I think, is uh you know, it's the smaller diameters.
1: Mm-hmm. But the idea is that changing the equipment, and I know that they're actually designing reels now that are, that are smaller because you don't need the size because of the, the size of the line, but they need to be stronger. And so apparently, yeah. the same thing is happening with hooks. Then, Nick, is that right?
8: Yeah, hooks. I mean, we've you know people are wanting stronger hooks because because they're using braided line and stronger reels, and uh, they can't have those hooks bend. So you know that's that certainly has caused a change in how. How we're building hooks, and mm-hmm. you know, strength and sharpness are very critical factors. So
1: now, uh, t- let's talk about sharpness for a second, now uh, because I I know that you know obviously you want a point that sticks and grabs and holds, and some yep. hooks have like a kind of like a you know a, a knife or a razor edge on them to help cut in. Yep. Yep.
8: Yeah, those are t- you know your traditional fish hook would have a, what we call a cut point. Some people call it a forged point. And it's a knife edge, basically, that's uh, you know sharpened down to the point. Um, especially in bass fishing, those have largely been replaced by by needle points, which are basically a, yeah, just a honed a point. needle yeah. point.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I've I've and, heard that you know the knife points. Although they grab very well, they can actually kind of over if you're fighting a fish, a big fish, say in the salt water for long periods of time, it can actually gouge out a hole because it's cutting into it. And you could you know, instead of just grabbing in one point, it can actually kinda of wear out a hole in the in the bone and you could lose a fish yeah. that way.
8: I, I suppose that's possible. I mean I kinda argue that uh for saltwater, that forged sort of cut point is mm-hmm. it just it's more durable, um, holds up better than a needle point in saltwater. So, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how how you're fishing. Uh, I, I tend to recommend a, 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 a cut point mm-hmm. hook, and, well, and most of your trolling hooks and big tuna mm-hmm. hooks and stuff like okay. that are still a, a knife edge point. Okay.
1: Well, we're down to two minutes. About, let me ask one question, and then I'll let Mark ask a question. What about sharpening hooks? If you're out on the water, now, should you carry a sharpener with you, or would yep. you do more damage than, than good?
8: Well. Uh, a lot of guys do, and, and you would have a, you'd have to have a knife edge type point to sharpen it. You really can't sharpen a needle point, so okay, uh, sharpen a needle point. So, but yeah, most uh, most saltwater guys do do carry a hook hone. Okay, and All, right. Hooks.
1: All right, Mark, you get the last question.
8: Hey, what about angle? You know, I know I know
2: in eagle call you make a couple different angles of hooks, like a kale style and then a round bend treble yep. and a you know short shank treble. And how do you determine which one? Is the best for which lure you're using? Well,
8: a lot of that's just you know, I don't trial, know. And <laughs> trial and error, trial and error, and feedback from fishermen. Really, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's. Uh, I wouldn't say there's. Uh, we certainly go out and do a lot of fishing. Different people in the company, product managers, and things like that. But uh, I would say most of our de- development and, and new items and things like that ultimately comes back comes from feedback from our pro staff and and professionals and anglers so sure sure right well we're gonna gonna wrap
1: it up right now but i would like to you know 90 years ego claw has been around and i believe that you said all of your product is made in denver colorado it's all made in the usa
8: all of our fish hooks, for sure, are mm-hmm. made in the United States. Yeah,
1: and, and but, you know, actually, from what I understand also, a lot of people, instead of buying hooks from China, China's buying hooks from you because they want the American quality. But uh, Yeah, that's
8: we, actually, you know, my, my job as international salesman, I'm yeah. actually selling a lot of okay. hooks into China. All right,
1: Nick, we got to go. Eagle Claw, you can find them anywhere and everywhere. And Mark, uh, BassAnglerMag.com. Thank you, guys.
6: Five
1: fishing poles, one for every fish. Welcome back to Fish Talk Radio. This is John Hennigan in studio. We have a couple of very important high end experts. Mark Lassane, who is editor and uh, publisher and chief executive of Bass Angler magazine, Bass Ag- bassmag.com. And true to his profession, he's on the Delta right now. And he was telling us that he went out this morning at 10, and within uh, sounds like probably two, three hours, he's got two eight pounders and two four pound largemouth. Wow. So obviously, he knows what he's doing. And we have, and I have pictures. <laughs> we have pictures. Yeah, right. Do they have dates on them? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we also have Nick Clark, who is the international sales manager for Eagle Claw um, Premium uh, American made fishing hooks. And we were just talking uh, off during the break a little bit about that you sell hooks not just in the United States because your title is international. Could you give us a clue yeah. about that?
8: Yeah, we uh, we export fish hooks to around 55 countries, approaching 60 countries, different countries, um, all over the world. You know, we have a strong presence throughout the Americas, South America, Central the Caribbean, a uh, very strong presence up in Canada, and, and then Europe's a big market for us. Uh, in, in Asia we we send a lot of fish hooks over to lure manufacturers over there um, oh. you know quite a few american-based lure manufacturers that are manufacturing over there oh. uh, that are using eagle claw fish hooks and then we also uh, have made significant strides in getting into the consumer market in in China mm. as well so you know there's uh, a world of opportunity out uh, there, and uh, well, you know, you know I,
1: are, I find that very interesting, Nick, because you know, Gamagashu and some of the Japanese con- uh, companies uh, that to make hooks, you know, are recognized worldwide, and China has come a long ways with their technology because sure. you know they can they can do great products at a lesser price, but yet they want to import eagle claws.
8: Yeah, yeah, it's. uh uh, you know, Japanese technology is is, is quite high. Um, the Japanese make some some very good quality fish hooks. Okay. China has improved, but they're still not. They're still not. I don't believe where you know where we are yeah. with technology, and right. uh, and not necessarily in the styles, but in the plating techniques, the finish, you know, and that type of thing. Okay, okay. Uh, that's where you'll find. Uh, you know, uh, you'll find American-made fishhooks over Well, it's it's, it's, cer- it's certainly
1: refreshing to have an American manufacturer shipping goods to China, uh, and obviously yeah. uh, that means something because I suspect that if it says made in USA over there, it means a lot as it does here.
8: Yeah, no, it's you know there's there's a, a niche market of. You know, for our products in the Chinese market, Mm -hmm.
1: and a niche market in China is actually a pretty big market. Wow. Well, yeah, there's a lot of hangers. And then, uh, Mark, did you have any uh, closing comments or questions?
2: You know, I just wondered about the quality of the the steel. I was thinking that, you know, the quality of the steel that Eagle Claw uses is probably – are superior than they get over in China. You know, I imagine that yep. you know maybe it's different that, different carbon or, or what they what they put in it. that just uh, you know makes it better, especially. Yeah, you know, we that's so a, a very good
8: point. We source all of our steel here in the U.S. Most of it comes from the northeast part of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have tested uh, Chinese steel, and just you know just as an alternative or a, sort of mm-hmm. a plan B if it ever needed to be and uh it doesn't work it doesn't yeah. work for us in mm-hmm. most cases so hmm. so we're there is, there is something to be said about
1: the... the, the Made, it, made in USA, it. right, right. Well, we're just about uh, wrapping it up right now, so I would like to thank Nick for... He is en route from someplace to someplace. He pulled over to the side of the road to uh, talk to... I'm talk to in us. the
8: middle of Kansas. That's
1: where I'm from. Oh. <laughs> Great. Well, his cell phones work everywhere. And then Mark is is on the water at the uh, Sacramento River Delta, and he's already cut two 8-pound uh, largemouth, and four, uh, he probably would have cut more if we didn't put him on the radio. But uh, he wants to get back to work yeah, there. maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but i uh, tell you what, if I had a day like that, I'd call it done. Anyway, it looks like we're going to have to go. You are listening to Fish Talk Radio. And thank you again, Nick Clark and Mark Lesane, for helping us out today. We needed a lot more time to talk about hooks, so we'll come back to it another time.